Disney earnings and is funflation over welcome to money talk the annex wealth management show we are glad you are here in the next hour we're going to talk about planning for aging parents boy i tell you i wish i would have known this kind of stuff 10 years ago you're going to know it today ask annex is on the way toward the end of the show we're going to talk about eight tips for smarter charitable giving glad you're here i'm danny clayton brian jacobson is our chief economist. Welcome. Great to be here. Dave Spano, president and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. It's going to be a great show. And of course, the mood of the market has certainly changed, Brian. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, we had uh, a really good week last week. And again, that continued throughout this week as well. It did. And a lot of it seems to be really driven by interest rates as far as the idea that the Federal Reserve might be on hold, something we've been calling the Powell pause on our investment committee here. And uh, with this rate interest rate stability has come some decent rallies in the broader equity markets. And so I think a lot of it has to deal with just, hey, rates aren't going to the moon anymore. And and we'll have to see. But, you know, the S&P 500, folks, is up 14% for the year. And that may come as a surprise to a lot of people. But last week, the S&P was, and the NASDAQ was up 6.5%. And again, that continued throughout this week. And in earnings reports as well, uh, you know, we're about 85% through the earnings reports. And most of them are better than expected. They are. And the beats have really come more on terms of the bottom line. So in terms of earnings. So when we think about kind of the financial statements, you have top line, which is the revenues and the sales, and then bottom line, which is the earnings. They've been beating on the bottom line, which is healthy. However, there has been a little bit of weakness on that top line revenue growth. Now, kind of putting on my economists and strategist hat, I know that economic Economic growth usually correlates, goes up and down with the top line sales growth. And so when you get from the top to the bottom, you get some cost cutting that can take place. And it does seem as though a lot of, especially the bigger companies, have already tried to right size their workforce, maybe their debt structure in order to deal with any sort of weakness we might see in the future in terms of the top line growth. And so let's talk about that in more detail because we pay attention to a lot of these macro ideas and that really comes from the Federal Reserve. And of course, you talked about the Powell pause, but he certainly sent his minions out all across <laughs> (laughs) the country, including the Minneapolis Fed chair and the San Francisco Fed chair, both were singing from the same song sheet. Yeah, it really does seem like that. So, you know, you kind of go to church and you've got the hymnal and everybody's singing in unison, and it really did seem like that. Um, There is a little bit of the dissonance. So some people like me who can't really carry a tune necessarily. So there are a few of those out there, but they do seem to say that, hey, interest rates, these long-term interest rates have gone up and that has helped to tighten financial conditions, which is what is doing some of the Fed's work for them. So as a result, instead of having to hike rates any further, the market is starting to do the work for the Fed. And you look at that, and of course, the San Francisco Fed president said it is too soon to declare victory. And that's almost exactly what Kashikar said as well. But there was a interesting comment that she made in San Francisco, which is they're standing in the ready position to react either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is really interesting. Every meeting is what they would call a live meeting, so it could go up or down. And that's actually an improvement because since March of 2022, it's almost like they have been singularly focused on hiking, 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 and now they think that maybe they could pause, pause, pause. Yeah, and we'll have to see, and you know, we look at not only here in the United States, but globally as well. You showed me something that was really interesting that was happening in Germany. Yeah, so Germany, for four months in a row, 
they have had negative growth with industrial production. Now, keep in mind, Germany is somewhat unique in terms of their age structure, also their manufacturing base. They tend to manufacture a lot more than what we do in the United States as a percentage of their overall economy. They also have tighter ties to countries like Russia and to China. And so some of the weakness in China and the higher energy costs because of the continuing war against Ukraine by Russia is really weighing on that German economy. And uh, finally, we want to look uh, not only backwards but forward. Next week, we have two economic reports that we should pay attention to. Yes, I think that two key things. Number one, consumer price index. What is going on with inflation? And number two, retail sales. Retail sales, we know that this summer, people were having a lot of fun going travel, hospitality, leisure, concerts, all those things. And are they beginning to tighten their belts? And what's, what's the term that you used? So, yes, we've been calling it funflation. <laughs> uh, you know, if you look at the different parts of inflation that have been going up the fastest. It's really been leisure and hospitality. And as a deep dive on the market, we call it the Week in Review, always available as a podcast, always delivered Sundays in the Axiom newsletter. If you're not signed up for it, make sure you do. If you want to get more in-depth information, subscribe to the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, November 11th, Veterans Day. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Back in Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Veterans Day weekend. And off the top, we want to extend our thanks and appreciation to everybody who has worn the uniform in support of our country. Annex has a number of veterans on staff and more than a handful engaged in roles with the National Guard. When a member of the Guard has weekend drill, yearly training, or deploys to serve, there's an impact on a workplace. It's one we embrace at Annex. In fact, in the past, members of our team have been called away to perform vital services. Some employers might bristle a little over an employee being away. We do not. And this hasn't gone unnoticed. ESGR stands for Employee Support Guard and Reserve. It's an important organization. They recognize individuals and organizations that support their mission. Their broadest and most inclusive award is the Seven Seals Award. And I'm proud to share that you, Dave Spano, were awarded the Seven Seals Award Friday at our headquarters. On behalf of our staff, congratulations. Well deserved. And again, you really pointed this out. It's on behalf of the team. I know I accepted that award, but it was on behalf of the team and all of the support that you as well and everybody on our team has done. So we're proud to support that. We will continue to do that. And of course, there's organizations that we are proud to support. And of course, course, the National Guard is clearly one of those. And the one Marine we have on staff would like everybody to know that right. Friday was their anniversary. Yeah, it was Marine's birthday, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's right. And so it was, it was good to have that, and I'm glad I accepted on behalf of our team. Dave Spano is our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist. I think the good segue is, of course, not only talking about the support for the military, but, you know, there's a potential situation that is brewing right now. And, of course, it's the government shutdown, and that Mm -hmm. is coming up quick. And right now, there is not bipartisan support to try to avoid that. Yeah, so November 17th is the deadline that if uh, they don't come to an agreement in order to fund the government, uh, really, you do go through a shutdown procedure. Now, that doesn't mean the government completely shuts down, of course. Uh, But it does mean that our good men and women who are serving our country, if there's a shutdown, uh, they might not get paid. They'll continue to work, but they don't necessarily get the pay. But they will get the back pay. They will get the back Back pay, pay. exactly. But they eventually will get paid. Yep, but it can create some stress on those families uh, as they go through it. So it's, uh, you know, hearts go out to them. Hopefully we will get some sort of uh, agreement. But if we don't, it kind of makes me think that 
we are likely then going to see the sequester or the spending cuts actually go into place as previously negotiated under the debt ceiling deal. So the deal that raised the debt ceiling, there could be 1% cuts to discretionary spending in January if there is a government shutdown or if they don't pass all of these spending bills. And maybe that could actually be a bit of a benefit to the broader markets in the sense that people won't worry so much about all of the deficit spending that has been taking place. Now, it's not going to really move the needle and it's not a long-term solution to the deficit spending, but maybe... From a psychological perspective, we could see a little bit of stability or downward bias to interest rates, which then could maybe help some of those big big cap tech companies that are very highly correlated and tied to the movements in interest. So let's talk about that, because that is really the concern is, of course, what happens to interest rates. And of course, there's this thing called the Treasury auctions, and Mm. sometimes they get pretty sloppy, and they have been sloppy lately. They have been. Uh, Two of them were very notable. The first one was a couple weeks ago, the five-year auction. So when they auction off a five-year Treasury note, that one, it wasn't very well received. The most recent one was for the 30-year government bond. And that one was, uh, I mean, just downright ugly. There were not a lot of bidders for it. Uh, The interest rate that they paid was higher than it needed to be. Comes to find out, some of it could have been due to a ransomware attack against a Chinese bank that operates in the United States. So it has a U.S. subsidiary, but there was a ransomware attack that actually interrupted some of the uh, settlement of those deals. So that was kind of an interesting dynamic. It really was. And as we get to the end of the earnings season, 85% of companies reporting already. Now, NVIDIA's got a report yet Mm -hmm. uh, in a week or so, but there certainly could be some volatility between now and the end of the year. You talk about a potential government shutdown. You talk about for perhaps a further geopolitical risk. And, of course, Treasury auctions really mean that there could be some volatility between now and then. That is the reason why, folks, you need to know what's in your portfolio. We provide perspective that you may not get from other advisors. Using a fee-only fiduciary is really the first step in trying to get that done. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. Those four things together as a fee-only fiduciary. Starts at AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Start a button. I've gone through it. You might be in the middle of it. How to help aging parents make sure their plan is being followed and loose ends are tied up. That's next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Keith Butler is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Great to be here. Caring for aging parents is tough, and things can get complicated in a hurry. Those who are called upon to do the crucial task of caring for elderly parents can benefit from planning ahead, emotionally and financially. While some of the developments may be out of our control, there's a few things we can do to soften the impact. Keith, let's talk about that. I guess the first thing that should happen, really, though, is you need to talk to your parents parents about it. And it all depends on where they're at. I've told the story before about my dad, when he was retired, he was living many states away, actually reached out to my sister and I and said, will you let me know when it's time? That was a great entree to that. Not everybody gets that. That's a great story. And I think that opens up probably the most important part of this whole thing is is the communication. And the conversation we're going to have today is is really interesting to me because most of the things that we talk about at Annex when we go on the, on the radio and these these segments is hard things like tax numbers, the financial plan, and things like that. And this is interesting because it's sort of the soft stuff. It's the kind of the mushy 
because everyone's mileage may vary, if you will. Every situation is different. But yes, having a conversation is the most important thing to do. It goes from, okay, the parents thinking something happens to me. Do they know where to go? Do they know where to, how to find the important information? Do they know how to find the key to the safe deposit box? That sort of thing is, is really the starting point to this whole topic. You know, it's probably a dress rehearsal because I'm in my early 60s and I know at some point my kids are going to be going through this with me. Right, right, right. right? Do you find that there's sometimes some resistance from the parents? Say, no, 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 I got it. They're, oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. The interpersonal relationships is how, how much can you push back and when do you push back? And you got to pick your battles. But when it comes to physical safety and driving and things like that, you got to push pretty hard. Oh, I've heard some horror stories of when yeah. the keys need to be taken away from somebody. And that, right. that's really a tough one because you, it's that loss of control. Mm-hmm. Parents don't want to consider themselves as aging or failing. Right. First thing that we're going to talk about is really to have those estate planning documents ready. And you kind of alluded to that. But if you're not off the same playbook, that is going to be, that's going to be an issue. It is. You know, the, the basics of an estate plan, of course, are your trust, a will, things like that. But for purpose of this discussion, you know, there's, there's powers of attorney that are really, really important. They're, they're important at, at any point in time. But you have a couple different types. You have a, the durable power of attorney, which is a financial power of attorney, and it addresses finances only. It gives another person the right to act on your behalf if you're unable to do so. And that could be, that isn't necessarily just you know incompetence or something like that. It could be you're traveling overseas or something like that. It's always a good idea to have a trusted person that can transact finances for you. The other part is healthcare, and that, that falls under two different sort of documents. One is a healthcare power of attorney. A healthcare power of attorney is where you name another person, typically a spouse's name each other, and then maybe one a, a child is a successor, to make healthcare decisions if you can't make those decisions. The other is a declaration to physicians or a living will. They're synonymous terms. That is your declaration to the world. Like, okay, if these conditions exist, I don't want uh, life-saving measures taken or heroic measures to save me or that sort of thing. I will tell you that the, the medical industry really prefers the former. They want a healthcare power of attorney because then it's someone else. It's like, okay, Danny, what do we do with mom? It's been incumbent on you to have that conversation with mom so that you know what her wishes are. Because with a living will, then the doctors are in a position, they have to decide... Do these conditions exist? And that can be, well, I don't know, like if I'm not expected to live 60 days or something like that. I, maybe not. Great point. Talking to Keith Butler, wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, talking about caring for aging parents, big responsibility, but it can be done. Next point to consider, prepare financially and physically for healthcare costs. One of the the best ways to protect yourself in this regard is uh, long-term care insurance. Now, this is an an interesting form of insurance that is not as available through as many companies as it used to be because the experience of the companies was really bad. It's easy with life insurance. You're either dead or you're not, right? And they can use actuarial numbers and they can tell with precision what sort of claims they will have. With long-term care insurance, typically it pays for, obviously, a nursing home. It'll pay for other things, sometimes nursing care to come into your home, take care of you at your house, a lot of different things like that. But people who have this sort of insurance that protects a vulnerability in the financial plan. Because a lot of times we see the one vulnerability for people whose plan is otherwise successful is, well, a nursing home would really kind of cause a problem. Couldn't afford it. So a client comes in, they're elderly, and they want to begin the process. Who's involved? Are the kids involved yet? Hopefully. 
you know, in a perfect world, absolutely. The family is involved. Just an estate plan overall, because you, if, you can, if you have a family dynamic where things are open and people trust each other and you can have the conversations with everyone, you can explain yourself. When you create an estate plan, by its nature, it's something that doesn't take effect until you're gone, right? So you can't explain yourself then if you're doing something that isn't completely equally to all the kids. We would like to help. Keith is on the team, along with the rest of the crew here, for investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. A pleasure. It is Saturday the 11th. It is Veterans Day. It's bottom of the hour. Time to get caught up. And for that, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Time for Ask Annex. As always, get a question for us. You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. You look for the Ask tab, and if we can help, and I know we can, click that Get Started button. In the studio, Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager. Welcome. Hey, Danny. CFP, too. I always forget that. Yes, sir. That was hard-earned, wasn't it? It was. You, too. Fred Coleman, CFP and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Danny. Question number one on Ask Annex. Assuming Social Security is stable... How does Roth and HSA savings affect the amount of Social Security one will receive each month and assuming 30 years of Social Security income? Because these will reduce the amount of Social Security received and that Roth may be a wash to traditional 401ks or IRAs. Are they really getting me ahead? No one has ever covered this math that I know. Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a lot of math involved. And luckily, you know, with all these moving parts when it comes to taxes and rules and uh, all these different laws that change, it's almost impossible to figure out. But fortunately, we have the tools, the systems and the people here that helps even us figure those types of things out. So when it comes to HSA contributions, they're not included in Social Security wages. So making HSA contributions, it can slightly reduce what's called the Social Security wage base. On the other hand, it saves that 6.2% on what's called FICA tax. You get a tax deduction for the income. It grows tax deferred. And you have the opportunity to withdraw tax-free in the future if used for medical expenses. So I think the benefits of contributing to an HSA far outweigh the small additional benefit of counting that income towards your Social Security. 401ks and Ross, they're both included in the Social Security wage calculations. That won't affect your benefits at all, making contributions to those. With all that being said, it's important to put the numbers to the test in a financial plan and to see what's the optimal amount to contribute to these various types of accounts. The segment is called Ask Annex, but it's also a soapbox as well because I, I love this one. Here we go. This is more of a rant and less of a question. My nephew is complaining about his weak performance in a 2055 target date fund that is 90% equity. Market has been roughed up recently. He's 30 and should know better. I keep my mouth shut. Why aren't schools teaching investing basics? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, I think investing should be a part of the curriculum as well, like math and reading and all those subjects that we learn in school. But that's what we're here for. We lead with education here at Annex. The thing about the target day fund that I like, if you don't work with an advisor, they make them really easy to understand. The objective of the fund is that you're planning on needing the funds around 2055. So by investing in this fund, you're playing a long game. you got about 30 years. Uh, volatility is going to be expected. I look at it as an opportunity to buy low. Today's markets could be the lowest markets that he'll ever experience in his life. So my advice is look at this as an opportunity. 
No, Matt, if it's 90% equities, isn't it bound to be pretty volatile? It's going to be all over the place. That's for sure. We've, we're coming off a couple of years here where the market's been all over the place. Even the 10% of that that's fixed income, we're in a really, really long bear market for fixed income. So that's not helping as well. And especially depending on how they've invested that fixed income, if they've used longer dated treasuries or longer dated bonds, they're going to be feeling that pain even more. But Fred, as you were saying, it's really an opportunity. And with that much time to go, you really want to see a lot of volatility if you're younger. Frankly, you really want to see a pullback and you want to be able to get as much money into that target date fund as possible and allow that to grow over time. So with 30 years out, you know, to get to that spot, you do actually want to feel bad about it today. So you feel better about it going forward. And from an education standpoint, I was always kind of amazed too growing up that there wasn't a lot of financial classes in school. Even when I went to college, I took one financial planning course that it was an elective that I did as an independent study because my school didn't have a major on it or classes. And I went back and taught the same class later on to undergraduate kids. And I had six kids who signed up for that class. So it wasn't a lot of kids that were really looking for it, but it's so, so important. And it's one of those things that people don't know nearly enough. So I love here, like you said, that we lead with education with our clients, and it's something we really believe strongly in. And sir, if we may give you permission, since he is your nephew, you can yell at him. (laughs) (laughs) Last question on Ask Annex. How does someone become an accredited investor? And before you answer that, what is it and how, when do you have to be one? Yeah, that's a great question. And it really comes down to specific types of investments are available for everybody. Think individual stocks, individual bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, stuff like that. Anyone is able to go in and, and invest in those things. But there are certain things that don't have the same level of regulation or don't have the same level of rules that the SEC has decided that if you want to invest in these, you have to hit certain requirements because of that extra complexity and some less protections that are around you. There's a couple different levels to this, but the one particular here is an accredited investor. And the definition is that you need to either have an income of $200,000 or if you're married, $300,000 combined, or you need a net worth of a million or more and that's going to exclude your primary residence. And it has to be consistent or somewhat consistent too. So it's not just a a date and time or or one time you have to hit one of those things, but be able to show that that is stable. And the reason there is that the SEC is assuming that if you have a higher income or a higher net worth, that one, you could take the risk of being in something like a hedge fund, private equity, private real estate, venture capital, things like that, or that you have a higher sophistication level that you can understand the ins and outs of there. And that may not be true. So that's one thing that you got to watch for. Just because you have a high income or high net worth doesn't mean that is the right thing for you. But they're assuming that it might be a a better placement for you because you might understand a little bit more. Now, keep in mind, a lot of those things have higher fees as well, too. And so they those a lot of those things go together. But it's one dividing line that the SEC has said is, is out there. Matt Morsey, CFP, Investment Team Manager, thank you. Thank you. Fred Coleman, CFP, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, thank you. Thanks, Danny. You've been blessed and you'd like to bless others through charitable contribution. What's the wise way to do that? We'll cover it next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Dan Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP and a CDFA at Annex, is here. Welcome back. Hi. Also joining us, Keith Butler, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Keith. Great to be here. A charitable heart is a wonderful thing. Great joy comes from sharing of one's abundance. And it can happen in several different ways. But are there smarter ways to do it? You bet. And that's what Deanna and Keith are going to be covering for us. 
Let's start real simple. I mean, there's so many ways you can give. So many ways. The obvious is cash, but there's also household items, art, clothing, giving your time by volunteering for an organization or being on a board. But when it comes to financially giving, okay, how do you figure out what's best? Does it come from your portfolio of assets? Do you give from your bank account? And there are pros and cons to different ways. Of course, there's the potential tax benefit as well as the feel-good aspect to take into consideration so much that last year, it's actually estimated, Danny, that just under $500 billion went to charitable organizations. So people opened up their hearts and their pocketbooks. And you'll probably agree, don't feel bad if you're looking for a tax-friendly way to do that. Absolutely. That's That's yeah. Yeah, that's why this is smarter. One popular method is appreciated stock gifts. I know what that is, but how does that work. Yes, that is a very effective way to give. For example, you invested in, let's say, stock. You bought the stock for $5,000, you know, a number of years ago. It's worth $20,000 right now. So normally, if you had sold that, you'd be a capital gains tax on the $15,000 excess, right? If you give this instead, give this to your favorite charity, you will get a deduction for the fair market value on that date, that $20,000, and the long-term capital gain just goes away. Dan, you mentioned cash. Is there a tax-smart way to give cash? You know, actually, cash is one of the most common ways to give because you can donate up to 60% of your adjusted gross income to charity if you really want to be generous. But you have to be aware of having appropriate documentation if you're gifting cash. If you're giving over $250, then a contemporaneous written acknowledgement actually comes from the charity and it is tracked, including if any goods or services were given back to you in return for the donation. Talking about eight tips for smarter charitable giving. Next up, the old QCD, the Qualified Charitable Distribution. Is there a level of complexity with that? It's not too bad. The one thing you have to know is that it doesn't come into play until you're at least 70 and a half years old. Because, you know, for many, many years, required minimum distributions from your IRAs were set at 70 and a half. And then the SECURE Act, the first SECURE Act, a few years ago raised that to 72 and now the SECURE Act this year raised the minimum distribution age from 73 or 75 depending on when you were born before or after 1960. But for whatever reason, I don't understand the logic, but it's great, is you can still make a qualified charitable distribution at age 70 and a half. And that just involves a distribution directly from your IRA to the charity. We have a lot of folks that do this that are in the RMD age. If they don't need the money right now and they're making charitable contributions anyway, this is probably the best way to do it. But it has to be direct. So you want to work with your advisor to make sure that it's paid from the IRA to the charity. Dan, there's a thing called a donor-advised funds. How's that work? So donor-advised funds are particularly great if you're expecting a high-income year because you get this income tax deduction up front. You give the gift on one tax year, so you get the deduction, but then the giving to the charity can be stretched out over multiple years. You can use both cash or appreciated securities or a combination. Of course, as Keith mentioned, donating appreciated assets allows avoidance of paying capital gains on appreciation. That is a really, really good way because what it does is it differentiates or bifurcates, if you will, when you make the gift so you can control when you get the deduction because for your own personal tax situation, it may be advantageous in a certain tax year to get that deduction. That's not necessarily when you want the charity to get the money so you can separate those two. And that's the real advantage to a donor-advised fund is being able to then control when they get it. And as of the rules right now, there's really no rules as to when you have to give it. So sometimes they just build up for a while and you can give it down the road. I suspect at some point they will probably have some sort of regulations that come out to direct when those have to come out. But right now, it's very open. Eight tips for smarter charitable giving. Charitable trusts, that's an option. 
Yeah, charitable trusts are a great way. And this is a very sophisticated tool. There are two types, charitable uh, remainder trusts, charitable lead trusts. And to oversimplify a bit, a charitable remainder trust, you retain an income interest for life, either for the person making the gift or a member of their family, typically, so that during lifetime you get an income flow. And then on death, a charity uh, receives the benefit. Now, wh- what does this accomplish? Well, you get a charitable deduction up front. It's done in actuarial calculation of the years until your expected death, but there's a portion you get that deduction and then you retain an income interest. Charitable lead trust is just the opposite, where a charity gets the distributions right now and a lump sum goes to a family member years down the road. So, Deanne, we've got a special event coming up. It's part of the Women in Wealth Third Thursday series, Eight Tips for Smarter Charitable Giving. This one happens in person. It does, in our Elm Grove headquarters on Thursday, November the 16th at 6 p.m., 127th and Blue Mound. You can go and register at our AnnexWealth.com under the Events tab. Register at that Women in Wealth button for Eight Tips for Smarter Charitable Giving. And Keith will be there with me, and we're going to be talking about a lot of these issues in greater detail. If you do want to give, and this is something that you'd like to do, but you don't have a path, obviously this is something, Deanne, we take care of for our clients, right? Oh, we absolutely do. We talk about lifetime legacy as well as the legacy after we're gone. You know, it's really a wonderful feeling if you have during your lifetime the ability to make your own soul sing by being charitable and uh, donating to causes that are meaningful to you. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development at Annex, also a Wealth Manager, CFP, and a CDFA. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager at Annex, thank you. My pleasure. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. We're back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. The show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour. If you're listening to this show and you're like, I like what they do, where would I fit? We've got Annex Ignite if you're just starting out, Annex Comprehensive Wealth, and then Annex Private Client. And that's kind of what we're going to touch on here, Dave. Yeah, for sure. Private Client is part of a team that we have within Annex Wealth Management to work on some of the more complex issues. And Brian, uh, you were deep into it this week. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun with working with all of our private clients because uh, really these are rather complex situations, always something new. And I feel very fortunate that we have so much talent here in this firm where we can take that comprehensive view because we talk about comprehensive wealth management. So really what does comprehensive mean? It means looking at the estate plan, tax planning and investment planning because you can't really look at any one of those in isolation. And that's one of the things that really came to life for me this past week, talking to a few clients, was just how interconnected these different issues are. And so the client that uh, I'm thinking of, uh, they had sold the business. And so now they had a very complex uh, financial situation, not to mention the emotional Mm -hmm. idea of, you know, it's like selling one of your kids if that was such a thing, right? But, uh, you know, so now you have to have this, this emotional separation, but then there's the economic issues that they have to go through. And as you said, it started with the estate and the tax planning, but then led into the investment side. It did. Yeah. And uh, which is kind of interesting. A lot of people like to put the investment planning first, but it really does, I think, need to start with that estate planning, looking at it from the tax perspective about what are your goals? How can we best define the problem that you are trying to solve? Most people, I think, come in thinking that, hey, if you work with a fee-only fiduciary, that it's really an investment problem that you're trying to solve. And it's not. It's really about your entire your legacy. Um, there's the issues as far as 
uh, not only the money that you have to manage, but then who is it that you want to ultimately take care of? What are the charitable goals as well? And until you've really defined the legacy and especially the charity part, which then feeds into the tax part, then you can start working on the investment problem as well. And so as we went through that, you know, there was an interesting idea, and it's an old concept that we've really been using in financial planning world for, you know, three or four decades, mm-hmm. but the bucket idea, and it certainly worked even at this most sophisticated level. It does. Yeah, it, it's something that's so, uh, it, it's not simplistic. It's simple, but it actually works. And that's the reason why we employ this when we're presenting some of the investment strategies is that if you think about you want to have enough cash and liquidity to meet your financial needs for a certain horizon. For some people, it might be six months. Other people, it might be two years. It depends upon how risk averse you are, the variability with your spending. But then think about having a precautionary bucket, which is more where you would put fixed income in order to generate the coupon income that you can then replenish that liquidity bucket. And then when you kind of map it out, you almost segregate your portfolio into those parts, the liquidity, the precautionary part. Then you can think about how to invest for growth. What part of the portfolio is really going to be geared towards letting that corpus or that entire amount grow to not just meet inflation, but hopefully beat inflation by a significant amount. And if you are listening to this and you have a business of, of any size and it has some type of enterprise value, there is a process to go through. And, and what, what do you suggest? I would suggest to reach out to us because we can get involved very early. It doesn't have to be after the fact. It doesn't have to be after you've actually had that, what we would call that liquidity event where you've actually gotten the money. There's a lot of stuff that can happen at the front end if you're beginning to kind of uh, see out suitors or people are seeking you out to sell your business, we can be involved in the discussions to evaluate things, to make sure that you really do have that big picture in mind. And there are a lot of changes that are coming as well, as far as the expiration of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. What does that mean in terms of estate planning? So it, it can get complicated and we'd love to be involved. The sooner, the better. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, thank you. Thank you. Dave, you've known a lot of business owners. Nine times out of ten, they mourn the loss they, when they, they finally do, sell. They do. Yeah. And, you know, it's like your last child going off to college. I mean, it's emotional no matter what you think. Gotcha. Folks, this last hour, just a sample of the breadth of services Annex offers for our clients. Let's get things tidied up for the end of the year. Go to AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. We'll be back here next Saturday at 10. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.